Ever hear of Planet of the Apes? Uh, the movie or the planet? I hate every ape I see From chimpanzee to chimpanzee No, you'll never make a monkey out of me Oh my God, I was wrong It was Earth all along You finally made a monkey Yes, we finally made a monkey Yes, you finally made a monkey out of me. I love you, Dr. Zayas. to the phantom galaxy i'm your host nathan barnabal and i'm joined again with chris durham chris, hey guys how's it going uh finally a little bit of a reprieve from twin peaks <laughs> chris seth and i've been talking twin peaks now for about three episodes so. i know and i haven't been able to listen for about three episodes because I, I want to but at the same time i haven't seen any of them yet you so i kind of want to original series to the top of your queue i know i know i'm still far behind but i enjoyed some of what i've seen already but I need to move forward. Yes, yes. yes. Um, and I think you, I think you would really like the the new series. So we're here tonight. We have a pretty, pretty full episode. A lot of different things mm-hmm. to talk about. We've got. We're going to cover some news. Before we cover news, uh, again, I'll just say with the podcast, we're trying to bring you the the best quality material that we can. We're trying to come up with new ideas for shows all the time. If you guys have any ideas, please send them to our you can send them to our facebook page and you can also go to phantomcasts at gmail.com you can leave us any uh, comments you would like to there you can also we're looking we have our phantom rant section open where we want to hear from you about things that sort of bug you uh within the genre things that are pet peeves or just things you've observed we just want to get the conversation going there also if you uh are so inclined if you're listening to the show and you enjoy it please head over to our itunes and you can leave us a review there and reviews particularly positive reviews and particularly five-star reviews certainly help (laughs) our uh they just help our exposure because they will help our our Mm -hmm. itunes ranking it will help us get out to a bigger audience it will also help us in the long run as we are trying to bring you new content and we're all about constructive criticism too if you have yeah, you, you know, can any send comments, us an email so. and constructive criticism. You can leave a five star review. <laughs> at um, but anyway, we are we're just about at the end of June. It's been a pretty we've had a pretty good run of podcasts. I think we've got. Uh, I was hoping to have seen Spider Man, but I didn't get a chance. They had the screening, and I just didn't get a chance to make it. But we do have a review of a brand new movie a couple weeks early for you. We have War for the Planet of the Apes, which mm. is the last of the new Planet of the Apes series. We'll have a full review of that. For you, and before that, let's hit some, let's hit up some news, and then we've got a couple of new reviews. We're, Chris and I are going to do some mini reviews. Chris has a, one of the most anticipated films of the summer to review. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then we will wrap up with. We've also got some TV to talk about. 
Yeah, um, it's absolutely. Pretty cool TV. Uh, pretty cool TV in one case, and some. Uh, <laughs> case. And then we also we'll, we'll wrap up with our uh, review of War for the Planet of the Apes. Question: Would the would the TV we're talking about happen to be Twin Peaks? No, 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 no. <laughs> we talked about that enough. But I'm telling you, last episode, best hour of television I've probably seen ever. <laughs> That's high praise. Except for you. Well, I love Eraserhead, sure so I need to get to it. There's a special out there somewhere that, that qualifies, <laughs> but. Uh, so, in the in the realm of news, we've had some... I mean, we always have new superhero news. Yes. Uh, we've got a couple big movies that are coming out soon. Spider-Man seems to be getting good reviews. I'm hearing good things. I'm hearing most of the reviews I've heard have sort of said it has like almost like a... like It's more of a teenager coming-of-age movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, not necessarily more of, but it is primary identity is that. And not necessarily a superhero movie. Yeah, I've been hearing some stuff about that too. I think Which that's I kinda interesting like because I don't feel that that was true necessarily. The any of the other Spider Man. They always the added it of like as an element of the movie, yeah. but it definitely focused more on the heroics and things like that. Yeah, I, it, it was the day to day life. Both the first Andrew Garfield movie and the first uh, and the first Tobey Tobey Maguire movie had that coming of age element. But I don't think... I think that they were ultimately kind of overshadowed by the heroics. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see this. I kind of want to see how Michael Keaton's going to be playing the villain, playing the vulture. But Aspect, Especially with the specter of Birdman. The specter of Birdman <laughs> looming there. And there's a lot about it that I'm, I'm interested in. So I'm hoping that it will be a good one. I, You know, I'm always hesitant because it seems like all Marvel movies are always like 95% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. no, and I'm not, I haven't loved every single one. But I, I enjoyed what we saw in Civil War. So it is good to hear. It's also interesting to hear that they really seem to have made like a family film with this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's good because Spider-Man, he shouldn't be dark and edgy, I don't think. Yeah. I think that keeping Spider-Man in a kind of lighter, more family-friendly tone, I'm totally fine with that i agree i think that's the character character. yeah Yeah. exactly right i don't and you know i like the dark and edgy so for me to say that you know well it's you need all types yeah if you want Mm -hmm. a fully rounded marvel universe let's not make every guy the same i agree yeah another piece of news is this means i mean i don't know how much hearing a director talk about a movie they're making particularly when it's a big budget studios all in yeah how much does it ever really matter it's nice to hear directions people are taking but we don't always know if it's going to pan out, you know. Mm-hmm. So we've been hearing that Matt Reeves has now the continual revolving door of who's going to direct the next Batman movie <laughs> has currently fallen to Matt Reeves. It was Ben Affleck for a while. Mm-hmm. People were kind of up in the air about that. I liked Affleck. I was okay with him as Batman. I just had no idea how his his vision would fit in with what mm-hmm. they were doing. I agree. Yeah, uh, already with what we've seen of his version and vision of Batman, it's so at odds with I think pretty much everybody else's and the expectations of that character and what it should be i don't i don't imagine his movie i mean i could be wrong his movie might have been fantastic but i feel like it would have continued down that same way that we've been seeing it go and it would just be another dark broody boring batman and i feel like one of the things that you and i said about batman versus superman we said a lot of things and they've yeah. been well not many of them positive they've been, <laughs> they've been well noted on this podcast but you know, a lot of the issues I had are simply that the Batman character wasn't that well handled, and it was always hard for me to tell if it was really Snyder's intention to handle him that way, or it was simply just a sort of jumble with the way it was edited, the way it's mm-hmm. put together. There are lots of things that are suggested about that character 
that we don't ever really get inside of his head, so to speak. So we just go off of what we see. Like mm-hmm. the fact that he seems moody and 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 gritty and dark towards Superman, and he's willing to now perfectly kill, capable of killing people, kill criminals. Yeah. But at the same time. They treat him in such a way where he seems like he's new on the block, you know. And, yeah. and Batman shouldn't be Rorschach. Like I think he, he mixed shouldn't. Rorschach in there somehow. And so Matt Reeves has come. He's coming off of these Planet of the Apes movies, the second, mm-hmm. the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and now uh, not Rise, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and War for the Planet mm-hmm. of the Apes, and not not giving any spoilers about that movie yet, or even really what we think about it. But I will say this. Those are character-driven movies. They may be action spectacles, but they're still mm-hmm. kind of character-driven. And films. they may be mostly about apes, but they're yeah. character-driven. But, right. Yeah. Caesar, the way he, he does, even more so than the first movie that was sort of Caesar's origin story, and he didn't direct that one, but he really is about, let's explore and make this character so you feel them, mm-hmm. and you are able to understand their plight, and you get into their head a little bit. And so he, we've had him recently talking this week is a good time because he's got he's promoting his Planet of the Apes movie. <laughs> that his approach to the film is is going to be a little bit more the Batman movie. He's using the word Hitchcock. I don't really like it when directors that are mm-hmm. kind of up and coming. They've made a few good movies. Start throwing out no, Hitchcock. I mean Hitchcock doesn't get to be Hitchcock without a sizable and very effective catalog of movies yes. you know so when you start i remember Shyamalan did about four and started dropping hitchcock and that was oh. the, that was the beginning of the end <laughs> can we say that's pretentious <laughs> yeah. but he i think he was trying to evoke and say you know i want to make this kind of like a hitchcock movie in the way that hitchcock would present a character's individual viewpoint and create suspense and create tension and create mystery because we're watching this person try to make sense of the world around them. Mm-hmm. It is true that I don't think we've ever gotten a Batman movie really from that perspective. Batman is always sort of the dark mystery himself, you know. Mm-hmm. Zack Snyder wants him to be the dark question mark over in the corner. Uh, the Dark Knight is probably the clo- that series is probably the closest we get. But even as the movies continue, Batman is just more of one. We we see all the other pieces sort of revolving around Batman. So he dropped. He dropped a couple words that are encouraging to me, but they probably said them specifically because they would encourage fans, yeah. which is a noir mystery. Uh, I don't think that that necessarily That's not really been ex- explored too much with the Batman movies we've seen so far. No, and I will say, of all the actors that have played Batman so far, I think, I do think Affleck could be maybe the best for that noir mystery Potentially. He does have a weariness about him that kind of fits in that. Yeah, and he's been in other movies, crime dramas mm-hmm. and stuff, where he... He has a little bit more nuance in that way. Michael Keaton was a little too colorful, maybe, for that at the time when mm-hmm. the Batman movies came out. Uh, Bale, Bale, the, the movie was just so different. The, mm-hmm. You know, they weren't, they haven't ever been interested in making Batman a mystery movie. I will say at this point, if they're going to move forward with this character, that's about the only thing I can see that would get me excited mm-hmm. for this is to make the film a different kind of movie. Yeah, uh, and not see another action movie that's right we're going to see justice league beforehand anyway so that'll be another of the same but i mean here's the thing (laughs) wonder woman probably isn't going to feel that much like justice league and i'm i don't mind these justice league debacles that much if they can make the individual movies work true yeah what do you think no i think you're right on about that um i'm much more interested in seeing the interesting individual movies because they they really do take the time to delve into the characters more than just make big action set pieces where everybody can throw their powers in and do things interesting you know 
And Batman has the perfect rogues gallery for that noir kind of setting. Oh, like absolutely. You, and you yeah. can take a... I mean, we, I know we like to get away from that, let's have five or six different villains, which I, I totally agree with. But you could have a couple villains in there in a mystery sort of story. I would love to work. see them do just a Batman versus Zaz. You know, like him versus a serial killer, like trying to hunt him down yeah, and find him like a crime thriller. A like that would be great. Too dark, given how they've already made this guy about as grit, too gritty. I just, I just movie, mean like if but, we're talking more, that yeah. is something I would like to see. No, no, I agree. I would maybe like to see that second movie, third mm-hmm. movie. Like, if you're, this is just yeah. something I would like. To, this is not obviously what they're going to do with it, or what should do with it. It's just like if I had my my choice of making a Batman movie, I would probably do that. Well, I will say this. I would rather them do a character like that that's already dark mm-hmm. instead of try to push some of the other characters into not not appropriate dark terrain, if you will. Like maybe make Mad Hatter go nuts and like wipe out the Eastern Seaboard. Yeah, we don't need to see <laughs> something, something like, like that. Um, <laughs> there are, right. The, the point is, if you want to go dark, take a dark character. Avatar. The Joker, yeah. has, the Joker has worked because he is... He rides that line between mm-hmm. silly and dark, so you can have silly Joker, you can have really creepy Joker, mm-hmm. you can have pimp Joker, like <laughs> Suicide Squad. Uh, but, you know, that little piece of information, it's not enough to make me change my whole mindset, but Matt Reeves is a good director. I've liked a lot yeah. of what he's yeah, done. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's done Let Me In, he's done these two movies, the two mm-hmm. Apes movies he did, Cloverfield. I liked all those movies. Yeah. Um, so, I think it could be interesting. I, I'll I give it a shot. It could. We, Back uh, you know, talking about superheroes though, since we we might as well just get the the superhero stuff out of the way. That's very true. I mean, I mean, have you read any or seen anything lately where they were talking about the director of the new uh, Hellboy reboot and Neil how it's R rated yeah. and how it's now you know he's the cuffs are off. He can do pretty much whatever he wants with it. I read that and I get kind of disgusted. I've been disgusted almost everything that's happened here with this uh, this Hellboy mm-hmm. thing because Del Toro and Perlman were trying so long to get this thing off the ground. And earnestly, yeah. A Hellboy movie. And honestly, I really enjoyed the other two. They were set up for perfectly for like a third movie. Yeah. Um, I The only part of this that I don't totally dislike is I think David Harbour, who played the sheriff on the Stranger Things, in mm-hmm. a world where we never saw Perlman as Hellboy, I would be okay with David Harbour. He's an okay yeah. actor. Uh-huh. I think he could bring an interesting take on it. I'm not opposed to seeing him as, as, as Hellboy. Did you see that Patton Oswalt did like a... He hosted a like Hellboy tête-à-tête dinner or something what? to get David Harbour and Rob Perlman to hang out. No, and kind of talk it out. Are you serious? Yeah, Perlman, <laughs> great cigars and a great meal. Thank you. Or something. <laughs> so, um, that was kind of funny. It was kind of funny. Say what you do. will about Patton Oswalt's comedy. He does some interesting things. I like Patton. I, his 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 comedy. Is give or take for me. I think yeah. he's a, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. Neil Marshall, I like I like some of what Neil Marshall's done. I mean, but he's mostly done horror films. Mm-hmm. He's done Dog Soldiers. He did uh, Doomsday, which is mm-hmm. kind of post-apocalyptic. His main movie that most people know and that I uh, that we're most familiar with is um, Descent. The oh yeah, Descent yeah, the Descent. Yeah, with the mm-hmm. uh, the girls that go down into the like spelunking in the caves. And have to combat monsters. And how that movie was great because it wasn't the monsters that scared me. It was the claustrophobic, like, environs. Yes. He's done a couple episodes of Game of Thrones, too. I think oh, okay. he did the first, um, the, the siege, the uh, naval siege in the first. Or oh, okay. Season. That was awesome. Yeah. He may or may not have. I don't want to stick him to this. I think he may have done the episode where the 
Wildlings Attack the Wall. Which nice. Was the episode that really got me. That was into great. Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I kind of strayed from it. I was like, oh wow, that was that was pretty cool. So he's a good director, but I do have those misgivings. Just come forward and say we need to make it darker, make it edgier. I just don't know if that's the right tone for no. this kind of story. Maybe, and this probably just becomes, I haven't read a ton of Hellboy comics, but I never got the feeling that, yes, they dealt with some dark subject matter at times, but I don't think it ever went to a point where it has to be a hard, hard R-rated movie. You know, and I don't, I don't mind a hard R-rated movie. I enjoy Deadpool. I love Logan. You know, but I don't think that's right for this character and, at and, all. And the R rating itself is not so much the deal, but it's the, the slavering over the R rating. Mm-hmm. The kind of holding it up like it's this pinnacle we have to reach. Yeah. Now he kind of says things like, "Well, we're not going to shoot to make it R, but it ends up R, okay." And it's like that's just throwing stuff out there for the fans who want the yeah. R character. To me, Hellboy, he wasn't the same. He's not a similar character per se, but the quality of his storylines in terms of like you're talking about how dark and then how sort of you know what's the level of kind of magical fairy tale elements mm-hmm. and comedy. And darkness, I think of like Neil Gaiman's work, uh, Sandman, something like okay. that. Like Sandman and Hellboy mm-hmm. in content. I think that's a reasonable comparison. We're about the same. Yeah. I used to read both of them. I like Sandman a little more, mm-hmm. book-wise, book form. They've never made a Sandman movie. Probably were for the better for that. Did yes. You, did you ever read Sandman? I did, actually. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of my favorites. I think uh, two years ago, Free Comic Book Day, when you and I went up with, it with Jen and the kids, Yeah. Uh, I ended up picking up one of the graphic novels sections of it. But yeah, I've always enjoyed Sandman. But yeah, so I always seek it out at the library because I knew my parents weren't watching and I could go into the young adult section and look at the <laughs> Sandman comics. So I'd recommend the, the Hellboy comics. McNola has some really good stuff out mm-hmm. there. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. I, there's nothing about this project that's sounding interesting to me. Yeah, It's all sounding sort of like... Like we're just trying to we're trying to drum up excitement for this thing that's kind of been there, done that. It's kind of had its, had mm-hmm. its time. And... It's had two great movies. Right. And if you want to continue that story, that's fine. I just don't see... You guys want to take a character and redo them? Do Spawn. I mean, yeah. you, you want to make a dark, hard R-rated... I really would love to see them do that. Movie. I think McFarlane has, has a, finally got a script together for a, a total reboot of Spawn. I think they need to take McFarlane away from it, though, you honestly. You want to make a dark, R-rated, uh, horror, R-rated comic book hero? Try Constantine for a third time. Oh I mean, my goodness! Yeah, the, there's all this this vast material out mm-hmm. there, and you're deciding to 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 root up Hellboy. I just I don't I don't see it. No, um, and I don't know what they're yeah. expecting. I mean, I'll go see it, but I'm a little concerned at this point. But it's a little yeah. early on the process, anyways. We talk about big, fun, colorful things. Uh, where the first reviews of Valerian are coming out. Valerian. Oh, that looks awesome. Planets. It doesn't matter what the reviews are. I'm going to see this movie. I'm yeah. a big fan of Luc Besson. If you guys don't know, this is also based off of a French comic book. Uh, and it bears a lot of resemblance, I think, to Luc Besson's The Fifth Element, which was like one of my favorite movies mm-hmm. in 1997. Part of that was and a lot of people's, yeah. I was just coming out of high school. It was like that perfect <laughs> age for it. But I watched this, and it looks like we're getting a sequel to the... I mean, in all the ways that matter, like, no, it's not the same story. None of the characters are the same. It just has that same look and feel and sort mm-hmm. of tone to it and i was really disappointed a few years ago when the wachowskis did that jupiter ascending because mm-hmm. i thought oh here we're gonna get that sort of you know big gonzo, gonzo sci-fi word for it like pulp space opera mm-hmm. that just goes out there a giant comic book come to life and that's it looks like we're gonna get that the reviews are all basically saying that they're, they're mm-hmm. talking about how 
uh, beautiful it looks, how visually engaging it is, and the action scenes. And, of course, they throw in that little bit, well, the story's just so-so. I'm like, well, no kidding. I mean, I mean, I love Avatar. That's got a pretty lame story, but... That's a fantastic visual spectacle. Like, I think this will be another fun movie like that. I know some people didn't like it. I even liked Pisson's last movie, Lucy. Did you see Lucy? I still have not seen that. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I would. It's got Scarlett Johansson. I know. I need to see it. Because you know I love Scar Jo. Constantly evolving. Uh, She's my secret wife. Don't tell her. <laughs> or the word will get out. Um, I, yeah. So, it's looking good. It's good to hear that it's got some good reviews. We saw a couple other trailers for two movies that I think kind of you know they weren't at the top of my radar to begin <laughs> with I was optimistic about both of them let's uh, one's not a movie one's a TV show so let's talk about that because you said let's get the comic book stuff out of the way Inhumans I know almost nothing I remember very briefly the Inhumans kind of coming across them it's kind of like mm-hmm. the New Mutants like I kind of know who they are a little bit maybe sort yeah. of you know the Defenders all these <laughs> yeah. kind of guys that I know but no one's like chomping at the bit for these mm-hmm. characters so this is going to be abc which has done agents of shield which honestly i lost interest in pretty early and never really mm-hmm. went back to it did you they, keep uh, up with it i've kept up through season two and in season two the inhumans are like pretty predominant in it so they are like so in they're in it characters are i don't know that those characters are because i've only got through season two and they're like on season okay. four and they introduce like ghost rider and stuff were into the still, series are you interested but you just haven't got around to watching it i just, just haven't got around else? to watching the okay. rest of it like it's not the best series but it's enough it entertains me enough like i find that once the episode is done i was like okay i want to watch the next one but it's not like super duper like game of thrones compelling you know yeah, so I uh, watched this trailer, and I'm not really... I don't even know most of the context. These characters seem to be living... I think, Chris, you said they're, like, on the moon? or, or Well, it looked the... like they were trying to suggest they were on the moon or something, but I know they're supposed to be in a floating city called Adelan, floating across, like, the United States. Or the the, the Earth, like, up in the sky. Like they were not on Earth. Yeah, like... I like that they they have actually brought in Lockjaw, the giant uh, dog from the... Right, you know, it's it's a like... giant dog. We're not talking about a giant wolf. He's, like, a big... Like a huge, like, like uh, St. Bernard almost or, or something. something yeah, giant. And he just shows up one point in the street and he can teleport. And it's like, it's great that we've gotten to a point where we can do cool effects like that on a TV mm-hmm. show. But the rest of it looks pretty humdrum. I mean, it does, just I, there's not much that things. does. It doesn't really do much for me, to be honest with you. I'm not yeah. engaged by a lot of the powers. You mentioned that one of the mm-hmm. girls, her, her power is that she has big hair or something. Essentially, yeah, yeah, Medusa. Her hair didn't look particularly <laughs> amazing. No, you'd see that on Earth. But, like, you look at a comic book and it fills the entire panel. Like, the hair just fills. She'll be in a room and her hair is almost, like, filling up no, the room. There's one shot there with Lockjaw, but almost all the other shots don't evoke to me fun comic book energy or, or imagination. Really, yeah. The sets look honestly not that kind of bland. They yeah. look like like I saw they were trying to the like seventies Superman. I saw they were trying to advertise the showing like the first episode or two episodes in the theater. To be honest with you, I don't really care to do that. I don't care to go see it. I'm not yeah. sure I care to watch the show. I might wait to hear what you think about it. But I might I'm, watch uh, it if when it comes on Netflix. I'm starting to get a little bit like I've, I've mentioned many times, I'm at that point of like Marvel fatigue a little bit. They really well. Have to, to be honest, to I, and, and I haven't watched many of these shows, but it seems like, and if you, as you have said, DC has done much better with their TV shows than Marvel has done. Like I think Marvel's got the the movies on lockdown, and, and I think DC stuff is interesting, but their like network stuff is not, yeah hasn't been interesting. Mm-hmm. Honestly, hey, Defenders is coming up in August, so that's true. 
Legion on FX, which is that Marvel, looks fantastic. I want to see that completely tight. I mean, that's really good. That's really kind of original. That's got a lot of uh, energy and creativity in it. Uh, speaking of energy, creativity, and TV, that's probably a great time to. Well, you know, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. Yes, to throw it out there because I'm kind of excited for it. Which is, and and I, I don't know why I'm excited because this is like that battered geek syndrome where I've I mentioned before. Last summer, Nathan Bell and I talked about how excited I was that Nintendo was coming out with their mini version of (laughs) Nintendo that, was, to be fair, didn't play cartridges, which would have been Mm -hmm. the cool thing for it to do because... Hell, they would have had all my money because I'd be buying cartridges to play that thing. I still have my Blaster Master cartridge. If anyone of you want me to play (laughs) that thing, I would love it. Uh, Jen, for a long time, at Nintendo, I don't know if she gave it away or what happened to it. Oh, sacrilege. Yeah, I know. But th- this little Nintendo that, you know, was very small, kind of fit in the palm of your hand kind of deal, but had about 21 games loaded in there. They some good stuff. They had the first two Castlevania yeah. games. They had Super Contra on there. If anyone Contra. could have gotten a hold of them, I would have been happy to get one. For Ninja Gaiden, for Ninja Gaiden alone. <laughs> oh, my and goodness. It was about $60. And you're right. So they, they create a small batch of them. It's right around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. They release them. And they're so scarce. You know, everyone buys them up. They're out of stock. They come back in stock. Here, you could buy one for $300. And then in April, they discontinue it. Yeah. And they're not making any more of it. And it's like, you guys just handed the whole thing basically over to scalpers and people. Mm-hmm. And they make this thing, oh, we have, we want to we want to focus on our other projects. We have this time. I get all that. You're basically just telling us that these these releases are just giant commercials mm-hmm. for your, your brand. I like that Sega Genesis is putting all their titles out there. They're not even going to do a console like that. They're, they're just releasing all their, like, game titles on, uh, like, pla- various platforms. Oh, are they? Yeah. So what they're going to I just heard the news. They were going to announce uh, that they're announced. Hold they were going to put. This is even better. Yeah, news. all the, like, Sega Genesis classics were going to be coming out. They wouldn't be selling any special consoles or anything. You could just get the games. And I think some of them are supposed to be free. So That's cool because Sega, Sega Genesis was my jam. That was the yeah. thing I had was the Sega Genesis. I, I, love, me a, I love me some Sonic. Yeah. Well, you know what I did buy already for about 15 bucks. A Sega Genesis disc for PlayStation mm-hmm. yeah. uh, 3 that was all the, not all, but about 20 or so of the old games. <laughs> a lot of the Sonic games, Sonic's 1 through 4 or whatever on there mm-hmm. and things like that. But this is Super Nintendo. They've got about 21 titles with it, one of which has never been released before, <laughs> which is Star Fox 2. But awesome. But keep in mind, it's still a Super Nintendo game. We're not talking about this game that's been homed in on the graphics it yeah. just happens to be this game that was kind of legend because it was created and the reason that they kind of pulled it or never released it was it was kind of coming at that kind of awkward moment where we were clearly playstation and xbox were starting to come out with their mm-hmm. their units that were had 3d games that were of a much higher quality you know you're well playing. didn't um didn't N64 have a Star Fox game before N64 Xbox? N64 did have one. And that I one think was that's cool. that's what happened. I think that Star Fox 2 got scrapped because it couldn't really compare. It wasn't a Star okay. Fox game for the PlayStation. Yeah. It was just the idea that, like, this 3D graphics, It's granted it looked better than most Super Nintendo games, but it's like, who's going to want to run out and get this if you've got these other consoles? Premium, so they, yeah. they, did, they did exactly what you said. They kind of scrapped the Super Nintendo game. And worked on a Star Fox N64 title that was probably similar. It was pretty awesome. So, 
You played that one? Oh, yeah. I remember because my mom would go to Walmart for like three hours at a time. Oh, yes. Me over to the electronics department playing, uh... Did you ever... Did you have a Super Nintendo? No. uh, uh-huh. So you play most of these games by either at a French house who had one or at like a convenience oh. a grocery store or something. But I'm, I like, mean, getting excited. Best Buy. Now Nintendo is saying, and it comes out in September, about mid September. <sighs> they're saying that they they're going to have vastly more units of these than Nintendo. I want to love this. I want to love this, but I feel so bitter. I would love this if I get my hands. On I did, it. and the thing bad. is, I wasn't even trying to get one of the old ones for myself to use. I was like trying to get them for as gifts for people that I knew that I would love them, and it was impossible. I got it. I was in the minute they sold the old Nintendo ones, I was online trying to get copies for people. Uh, you know, and I couldn't do it. It was impossible. Places were getting like Amazon was getting jacked up. So if but anyone has any. Uh... Hints on how we can yeah. If there for, is literally enough, the regular price. If I'm they not are not, if Super Nintendo, if the Nintendo company is honest and they really are pumping out a ton of these, I really hope that's the case. And maybe, like you say, since it's not Christmas time, maybe we won't see as much scalper action. I, I really hope that's the case because last time it just made me so sad that I, you know. Well, their behavior with the other one was such that it's just like, yeah. um, but. There's a lot of great t- all the titles. All the titles are, are awesome. I mean, on it, yeah, got the Super Mario World, Castlevania Four, mm-hmm. Super Ghouls and Ghosts, Mega Man X. I mean, oh, lo- Final that's Fantasy awesome. Three, uh, fun Legend RPG. of Zelda. I used to love Secret of Mana. Legend yeah. of Zelda's on there. Um, Earthbound, both Star Foxes, Donkey Kong Country. Mm-hmm. I mean, who, giving all the who doesn't have tons of childhood memories of playing these games? F Zero, like, Mario yeah. Kart. I mean, it's. It's a pretty, I mean, it, 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 like you said, it's a nostalgia thing. Mm-hmm. But it's weird to think that you're going to have people waiting in line and fighting out for this thing <laughs> that is essentially just a relic yeah. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd love to have one. I'd love for my kids to be able to play Mario World and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Nintendo, don't screw this up, please. Because I could think, I don't know, most of us have, have long since moved to other platforms. I'm not that it. I saw that they've released a new Blaster Master game on Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I'm not really drawn to Nintendo Switch. No. Maybe if Nintendo stops doing these shady little deals, I would have more. I just don't have much incentive to want to give them money. No. So don't burn us. Yes. So let's talk briefly. Let's talk some television. I like it. Because I, I remember back in the day where summertime was like, you just kind of put mm-hmm. the cruise on. And we'll wait till September comes back in with all the good shows because you're waiting for network TV to just dish out <laughs> some some overheated garbage for the yeah. summer. You might get a Stephen King miniseries at the opening of the summer, but pretty much nothing else. Yeah, speaking of Stephen King, yeah, yeah, speaking of Stephen King. But since since we've gotten you know all of the premium channels mm-hmm. and we've got channels like AMC and things like that, the quality has gone up. We've had American Gods on Stars, which has been fantastic. We have Twin Peaks and Showtime, which is burning mm-hmm. it up. And this is just in the genre field. There's plenty of other stuff out there, too. But we've got two shows that are really on on cable. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not. this is not premium network stuff that we're talking about. One of those is AMC's Preacher coming back for a second mm-hmm. season. Uh, I think Nathan and I covered the first episode last year when it first came out. And I had a, a lot of reservations. I had reservations through that entire first season of that show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we're going to have... Uh, I'm going to have a quick kind of review of the first uh, the first two episodes. I think the second episode is actually airing tonight. Uh, but on demand, they've kind of put it out so you can watch the first three episodes of The oh, Mist. Oh, okay. That's cool. Spike TV's version of The Mist, based mm-hmm. off of the Stephen King novella, which also was the inspiration for a Frank Darabout movie in mm-hmm. 2007, I think. Yeah. 
I love that movie too. So Chris, talk uh, talk Preacher to me. Well, I mean, Preacher uh, really surprised me with the first season. I knew they couldn't do you know an exact replica of the comics because, and we've discussed ad nauseum at that time about like you know it's definitely kind of out there on the fringes for some people. It's it's kind of sketchy. You know, some people would absolutely, and you wouldn't be wrong to do so. I mean, the creator said it was blasphemy. (laughs) Yeah, and joyfully so. Like he was very like glib about the whole thing. Uh, But this show does not really take that route. They are searching for God this season, so they could kind of like get answers out of them or something. But it's more like I think this, like, and you said originally, was more kind of like Twin Peaks than comic book because it's so it's so out there. The first like, season definitely was the first season, and sometimes to a fault. The first season meandered a lot, uh, mm-hmm. and, and it did to me because too it had it really was not the beginning of the story at all like it was but it wasn't yeah i think the, the very basic story we have this character jesse custer he's uh i don't want he's not pretending to be a preacher he's trying to be a preacher mm-hmm. i think is a better way to say it pretending makes it sound like he's just masquerading but he legitimately is trying to change his life a little bit following his father's mm-hmm. footsteps it's not necessarily he thinks it's a right fit he just doesn't really know what else to do he's trying to move away from this criminal life and he's just run to this one shelter, mm-hmm. basically. And it's, yeah, trying to legitimately help his town. And, yeah, help us out. You know? And that element comes through even more so in the TV series. Oh, much, much we, more. And yeah. it spends a whole season in that town. Yeah. In Anvil, trying to uh, to just save people, really. Mm-hmm. He's trying to save their souls. He tries to do it pragmatically. He's not just talk. But then when he gets hit with the Genesis, which is this sort of... You can watch the show to figure out exactly what the Genesis yeah. is. Essentially, it, it gives you the power to make people do what you want them to do and it seems mm-hmm. to have very few limitations mm-hmm. does it say you can use it on almost anybody almost anybody with it appears to be one exception yes and we'll get to that but there were lots of interesting characters we have a, we had a young boy eugene mm-hmm. who had the sad unfortunate nickname of our space <laughs> in the show because he tried to commit suicide and kind mm-hmm. of blew a hole uh in his where his mouth is so mm-hmm. it's kind of a puckered hole you know mm-hmm. it, Seth Rogen and whatnot working on us has made that a nice little visual joke. But to be fair, it was a visual joke in the original. Yeah, and looks, they they made less him bad in the he made TV him, show. They really actually tried hard not to make him as much of a joke as they did in the comic book. No, uh, as a character, he was actually a character, character in this sort you know? of. Um, things happen to him that don't happen. He's basically yeah. he's uh, mild spoilers. He's sort of. Uh, accidentally, inadvertently sent to hell, or at least we think he yeah. is, in the first season, uh, which never happened to him in the comic Mm-mm. book. So there's a, the, the one thing it did do was throw the comics into kind of disarray. Yeah. We were meeting characters that we it met sort of reinvented some of the later. characters a little bit, um, and that we worked. We had the weird character of Jack, Jackie Earl Haley, yes. <laughs> the kind of meatpacking guy. Um, uh, Odin uh, Quinn Cannon. Quinn Cannon, yeah. yeah. And uh, we did have scenes of him bashing little meat babies and stuff out of, <laughs> out of ground beef. And he was a weird, strange character. But the problem was the weirdness kind of just vacillated back and forth. And the mm-hmm. story kind of moved in and out. So the primary story of the comics was always a road story, a road mm-hmm. trip with Jesse, Tulip, his kind of on and off again girlfriend, and then the vampire mm-hmm. who has kind of just dropped in literally into the story. <laughs> and um, uh, Cassidy, the vampire. Yeah, Cassie. Who develops both in the comic and in well in the comic you're not really always sure of his intentions whether he legitimately has a crush yeah. on tulip or if he's just sort of or just, playing her yeah. he's just a scheme i will say so far the show seems to be playing cassidy in a more a slightly less dark light yeah. so far mm-hmm. i don't know if we're just 
waiting to reveal things about him, but he seems a little bit, not more harmless, but a little more distracted and good-natured, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, a little less, because uh, in the comics, he was a very selfish character, and he still is somewhat in the show, but less selfish. I think a lot more concerned about but everyone else around But every time you got to develop that story, you developed the two angels that are kind of searching for the Genesis to mm-hmm. bring it back, and you've got this other story where we see this cowboy in seeming to be in the 1800s, and we really realize yes. he's in limbo somewhere replaying this event, this really grizzled sort of character. Mm-hmm. And so as we start to bring all these threads together, Anvil just kind of keeps getting in the way. Now, I say that because some of the storylines that happen in Anvil are legitimately interesting, but when we get to the end of the season and Jesse wants to call down God to get this whole thing <laughs> sorted... <laughs> That's where it gets really problem, nuts. Yeah. That last episode's nuts, but it also ends up with the destruction of Anvil. Yeah. And it kind of just undoes all of these little building character stories. Yeah, it kind of makes it moot. It's it like evaporates them, and they say, yeah. let's go on a road trip. And season two more or less starts in a vein that feels much more familiar to the comic book. Yes, and much more you know story driven and less esoteric, like little thing, weird Which things. I, I'm, struggle, I'm not struggle. I it's it's kind of a weird double edged sword to me because. I didn't like a lot of that. I mean, I liked those esoteric moments in and of themselves, mm-hmm. but they did give the show a weird fitful starts. Like, I was <laughs> yeah. always intrigued to watch the next episode, but I was never, like, drawn into the story. I yeah. was never sitting uh-huh. there like, man, I wonder what's going to happen next week on Preacher. Yeah. Uh, they seem to be trying to put that aside. Now, it seems like I, I have a few comments what I feel they might crash up against as they try to move forward and deal with uh, so far, they seem to be dealing with a structure similar to the comic book. What did you think mm-hmm. about the first episode? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was it was crazy, and it was something I've been waiting to see for a while because that whole first season of Preacher, we got to saw the you know got to see the cowboy and his like escape from his uh, hell or whatever he was reliving his same torment over and over. And I, having read the comics, I know it was going to happen. And I was expecting this great moment. And you get it just right in the first season, or first uh, episode of the second season. It just blows right up in your face. And all this this crazy, crazy... First off, starts they uh, driving along, you know, and then it goes into, like, kind of a weird grindhouse chase scene. That was really like, neat. Hey, let's, just, let's, <laughs> let's just chase, have a chase scene. Let's, let's have a fun chase scene. Yeah, like escape the cops kind of scene. And then, you know, they run into the saint. So... Um, it, who, then it was just nutty. Who has been referenced in all of the previous episodes as the cowboy. Yes. And then finally, and now they here, finally... boom, we get a big title card that says the Saint of Killers. Yes. I know who you are. Boom, it comes <laughs> up on screen. And um, I really like uh, what um, I think the actor Graham McTavish yep. is doing mm-hmm. with the character. I've seen him in several movies where he kind of plays a hard... He's not... There's not much character there to speak of, but he, what he's doing is good. Like he apparently he is a huge preacher fan too. Like a, he's uh, read all the series way before they started a hard doing the show. Customer a lot of times in movies. Yeah. I've seen him in a lot of other stuff, and here he's just uh, his. You kind of, if you're watching the season and you haven't watched the rest, uh, he just kind of seems like this lurching, almost like a horror movie villain. He just sort of keeps coming and coming. He's like the he's Terminator. got the slow run. He really yeah. is like the Terminator in this episode. Yeah. If you had if you had no context for him, you'd feel he's like the Terminator, and in a lot of ways he is. He creates that moving tension. Jesse Jesse 
uh, Custer doesn't ever seem to, even when the scene of the killers first shows up, he doesn't seem to really understand the gravity of it. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't quite realize how dangerous I think this guy is, even though he picks off a bunch of people. That's the one thing I'll say. They're almost a little too, given how Jesse was so affected by some stuff happened to Anvil. Now, to be fair, no one knows Anvil blew up. The, these mm-hmm. three don't know it. They almost learn. They leave town, two or three and it blows up shortly thereafter. occasions, they start to hear something. But they don't ever figure out the Anvil. We also, I, I don't see how they can't not do this. There have to be a few survivors from Anvil. Oh yeah, I I'm think sure. Quinn Cannon's going to have Quinn Cannon's going to pop up again. Uh, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that uh, Eugene's father is alive because mm-hmm. the, him trying to uncover what happened to his son became a pretty pivotal, well, part of the story. Yeah, but he, the reason that that happened with Eugene was because he died, like in the comics. Like it, it, that's well, why he, he was had... a totally different character in the comics. He was True. A, he was yeah. a complete jerk in the comic yeah. books, mm-hmm. and some really unsavory stuff happened yeah. to him in the in the comics. This was a very different character, mm-hmm. so it was weird to see them kind of develop him and almost have him be this de- almost go into some detective work just to wipe him out. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Eugene does seem to be coming back. He wasn't in this episode. I like the episode. I, it was it was uh, very. Energetic. It was a rousing way to start the, the season in off. In the beginning, a lot of action scenes. Yep. You start to see Jesse being a little bit different. Now, I, I, I have a different take. It's that I don't think, or I don't personally, I don't really like Jesse Custer that much as a person. Like, as, a, as I don't think, and I'm not sure you're supposed to, but a lot mm-hmm. of people are like, oh, it's so sweet. And I'm like, I'm not quite seeing that. I, he, he's not, like, Cassidy kind of sees him as a good guy. Tulip knows he's not a good guy seems to be struggling with it but sometimes he's not struggling that hard you know yeah. with the, the the use of the voice i'm okay with that take i feel like he was a little bit more he seemed to be a little more straightforward in the comics I'm he not was I, he was much more of your average good guy like he was trying to be john wayne you yeah, know in the comics more, he had that kind of vengeful streak mm-hmm. he does he does maybe more horrid things in the comics but this character i think they're purposefully throwing out his sort of vanity a little bit and some of his own foibles and the things like mm-hmm. i don't think we're supposed to think he's such a great guy right now mm-hmm. i'm not saying he's evil i don't even think he's an anti-hero but he has he's having a lot of fun with the void with the with the word the voice uh-huh. that the original jesse seemed to really use it as a tool for retribution is when he needed to and yeah. he uses it like a kid with a really cool thing that he's found yeah and they put emphasis on it because tulip doesn't like it but tulip can't quite figure out why she doesn't like it except that it's Kind of like mind control, you know mm-hmm. what she called it? It's like she called it mind something or another. And Cassidy, we see a lot of his selfishness in this episode, even to the point where they go to look for Tammy, who supposedly has met with God. Yeah. And they they sit down, and while they're talking to her, they're at a strip club, and Cassidy's like trying to like grope them. He says, <laughs> yeah. says something like, "Oh, you don't you know about the three second rule?" And they're like, "That's with food that falls on the floor, not yeah, like yeah. grabbing people." And he's getting roughed up by. Uh, <laughs> The bouncer in the, the background. Bouncer yeah. in the background. And, um, I would say if you've watched the first season, the, as far as the scenes go, we don't get... There's a lot of characters that were still, like I say, up in the air about what happened to them. Mm-hmm. The two angels who seem to be killed, possibly, in... Um... Have you seen the second episode yet? No, have you? Yeah, because it came out on Monday. They did Preacher, oh, the first no, episode no. on okay, Sunday so, and the second on Monday. So you've seen the second episode. I have. Is it good? So it I'm is only, good. Because I only saw to the point... Oh, I thought you had seen Jesse both. Jesse stands sorry. there and <laughs> sees the saint of killers walking towards him, and we look like we're going to get a standoff. And that's all I've seen. I forgot. I, I, I yes. saw they advertise it a bazillion times, <laughs> but I, you know, weeks kind of blur past me sometimes. So I will, I'll check it out. 
Yeah, that one you actually they do kind of explore at least one of the angel characters, and it's very weird and entertaining to see what they do with it. Interesting. Um, There's something they definitely didn't do in the comics. Like they took his character in a really unique direction. They've taken. I'll say this: like, they've taken all those characters in a unique direction. Where we, I'm pretty confident we're just seeing their own thing. They did that definitely, one, definitely. They're doing yeah. season two. Season two doesn't look like they started up and said throw that away Mm -hmm. we're gonna do this and i will say this i say that about jesse custer i think he's more interesting character because of these nuances and i think we're finally starting to get hints at his background has kind of made him what he is to some Mm -hmm. extent and we had a reference to the angel family who Mm -hmm. is like some seriously messed up customers i think they mentioned they they mentioned it a little bit more but they haven't i'm I'm really waiting for them to really dig into that like you said yeah one scene i just want to talk about that was in the first episode and we can move on what do you think of they introduce a character that I don't remember from the comics? I don't think he was there, which is a kind of pastor friend of. Yeah, I think they wrote that in because I, I don't I remember of, him. I, well, but I kind of like that they're throwing in little characters like that. Yeah, shows uh-huh. giving them their own feel. He definitely felt like a kind of Breaking Bad style character. You know, he yeah. was, that, was that kind of little colorful flourish that a show like that might. Is he have. an oddball? Like, is he is he a dangerous man or is he just like doing some? different things to try to help people like it's very, it's very I strange think the latter is what happens i think we yeah. the, the scene is they come up and they find and like cassidy and and tulip find out that there's a girl in a cage and she's yeah. making <laughs> to hand her the phone and we're like oh you know she needs to call to get out this guy that jesse's talking to is a nut and he comes yeah. in and we learn that she's in the cage because he's helping her break her habit of texting she asked much. him to put her and in she, there yeah she is she's begging to have the phone so she could check her instagram or yeah absurd but it kind of works this i've seen this actor many times in other movies uh-huh. yeah yeah he's guy. very familiar and he uh he's playing this kind of no-nonsense pastor who's really trying to do what he thinks is best for his uh his flock, <laughs> his flock his congregation yeah. but his his choices it's just like tough his methods thing. are a little strange he's like i'll yeah. put you in the cage you get to spend the afternoon in the cage but i like I liked some of that in the fact that they bring him in. He's a character for a little bit, and I liked everything they did with him. Mm-hmm. He has a confrontation with Saint of Killers. I kind of thought it was kind of cool. I was yeah. like, uh, we were watching the Saint of Killers just sort of dispatch one person after another, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's going to get old fast. But I I like that they're willing to bring a character in. They'll have a kind of fun actor to play a part, and then we can go on to something else. Mm-hmm. We don't have you know. So that's the kind of thing that was happening. Anvil. We're like, okay, cool characters, but you're bogging the story down. So far, it seems to have a lot more momentum. Yeah. And I, I like that I can't quite tell where they're taking the God-missing storyline. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to be in the same direction. I feel like that's not going to... Yeah, I don't think that's going to follow the exact same arc that we got in the books. And even then, when it did, like they would go on the quest, but they would quickly be going on to some other odd misadventure here or there something happened like that was always kind of like a side thing in the but it just seems like that entire journey might be very different yeah what i like about that is if someone you're someone who's read the books whether you like them or not you can kind of feel like this is something fresh you don't know where the exactly yeah i've read the book several times and i'm just like watching the show i'm watching something unique different from the books entirely and i wasn't the biggest fan of the books i am still the opinion that i like what they're doing with the show better so far. Yeah, I, can I think it's that. more creative and a little more interesting. It feels more organic to the mm-hmm. characters. Doesn't feel um, a lot of times. I felt like the book chose shock over character. Oh, not, absolutely. Not, that's yeah. that's absolutely true. And yeah. here it doesn't. It seems. I think why we have more interesting Jesse. We have a more interesting Tulip. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will. Last thing I'm going to say. It's still 
last year when we saw Warcraft, I saw both of those actors. Both <laughs> that blows my mind when I'm watching the show. In I'm like, that movie is complete bland <laughs> ciphers. I'm like, this people can do good work with the right material. Yeah. But the guy who's Cassidy is stealing the show. Pretty He's much. awesome. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'm enjoying it. I, mm-hmm. Now that I know that there's a second episode. And yeah, I'll, check so, it out. I'll leave the same thing out before for anyone who's listened to this. I mean, I think you have to come to it with a somewhat of an open mind and accept this as a fantasy storyline. Yeah. It is trying, and it is trying to explore and ask you some questions. I don't think about the existence of God, but questions about are what do you believe in and why do you choose to believe in it, or and how does uh, that how, guide you to what how, you do? How does that affect you as a person? And questions about human beings. Not trying to ask questions about Yeah, God. a little more so definitely than the books did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The books were were just one guy trying to. Have, Take the piss out of the Catholic Church, <laughs> and he did that very well. That's what I'll say. I mean, that's that's kind of what yeah. that was. Um, I think you'll like the second episode. It's not as action heavy as like the first one, but there's definitely some cool, some cool stuff they do with that one. So I'm going to talk very briefly because uh, Preacher, I you know I would say I'd recommend it if again mm-hmm. it's not a show kids should not be watching this thing at all. If you like, it's it's about the level of like Walking Dead in terms of violence. They're both yeah. pretty up over the top at times. Uh, supernatural shows yeah. like that. If you enjoy things like that, I'd say this is mm-hmm. in the same vein. It's probably it's a little more nuanced than Supernatural. Supernatural makes more mm-hmm. jokes. Some of the way Supernatural handles those things is probably closer to the old preacher, yeah. than than the new preacher. True. Um, so I saw a little bit of The Mist, which is Spike Television's new version of the Stephen King story, which okay. to me had such a great little hook of the original novella. Uh, basically, a bunch of Great little neighbors. tentacle. Yes. <laughs> a, a, a group of neighbors go into a grocery store together to, you know, a guy and his son and his neighbor go into the grocery store to pick up a few items after a storm. They live out on the edge of a lake. Storms come through, knock a tree through the window. So they're, they're trying to, you know, just kind of recoup. And wife's going to stay at the house. He's going to go with the kid. They go in the grocery store, just a little jaunt. And then suddenly this mist rolls in. And you hear people screaming and they're in terror. And we figure out pretty quickly there are bad, bad, bad things out in the mist of the <laughs> monster variety. Uh, Chris, you kind of alluded to there are bugs, there are tentacles. Yeah, all there kinds are. of stuff. Uh, the one thing that always worked, I thought, so well and had that almost Lovecraft feel to it was... This idea of some really horrible, biologically impossible things out outside mm-hmm. that you that were scarier because you'd only see a claw or a tentacle, yeah. and this idea is that the <clears throat> place is teeming with these things, and you also don't know what's happened to the world. Yeah, some mm-hmm. some uh, soldiers come inside from something called the Arrowhead Project, and there's a there's a suspicion, but not a definite clarification that the Arrowhead Project has done this in some way, ripped a hole in the fabric of something we don't know. That was the novella. The Darabont movie with Thomas Jane that came out in like 2007 was about the same deal. In fact, I mm-hmm. thought it did a very nice job of making an old school monster movie, which just seems to be what King was trying yeah. to do when he wrote it. Like, hey, it's like the monster matinee here. And do you it, like the uh, black and white version on the say, DVD? On, yeah. this, on this DVD, if you're a fan of horror movies for whatever reason, have, and even darker science fiction, if you've not seen The Mist, uh, I'd recommend it highly. Yes. I'd recommend it, and I would recommend the short story that's mm-hmm. based off of. Darabont had a much bleaker sort of... Well, bleaker for the characters, maybe more hopeful <laughs> for the world ending to, to his miss yes. than King did. King kind of left it on a hopeful note, but in no sense, King didn't give it an ending. He just sort of stopped. Mm-hmm. And uh, I liked both of those versions a lot. Not not least because there was a simplicity to them. 
the element I've left out is that there was some human dynamic going on inside the grocery store. Oh, yeah. Uh, pointing out that very quickly people will start to revert to a certain nature. It's as much about thrilling you as it is about human nature. I mean, It is. And the monsters are there, but of course, you know, a good good Twilight Zone story, which is what this mm-hmm. really is, and Darabont underlined that his version, it's a Twilight Zone story, always has to have the human monsters. And that, mm-hmm. you have this Mrs. Carmody, who's kind of this kind of uh, religious nut job. I, I don't Very use Very Old Testament style. Right, I don't use mm-hmm. religious nut job to be a basic identifier. I mean, she's a nut job. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. she is fire and brimstone and feels that that fire and brimstone is coming, and it's like... You you see characters like that, but they never really get to come into their come into their own because they're very rarely around when the world you know the world yeah. hasn't really ended, so they don't really get to to preach to a choir of people that want to listen to them. So mm-hmm. in this, suddenly Mrs. Carmody has the upper hand because there seem to be monsters from hell walking mm-hmm. around outside the the store. So all of that those elements played nicely together, and both versions of the myth sort of understood that we're going to get in and get out. Yeah. We're going to do our thing, mm-hmm. and then we're going to let it simmer in your mind. This mist has seemingly no intention of doing that. I would say <laughs> up front, it has the same basic concept. Mm-hmm. Here's the small town on the edge of the lake. You've got a, the dynamics aren't quite the same. The guy who goes to the... not even going to a grocery store anymore. This is more about the town in general. So my first inclination on this is this almost feels like my so-called life Oh. meets the mist. So there's a lot going on in the beginning to build this dynamic. What this really resembles, I don't know if you saw a few years ago, when Stephen King did Under the Dome and they did it on television. I know some people like that. I didn't get a chance to watch it. Uh, it fell apart very quickly. The first, But it mm-hmm. had decent summer ratings for about a season or so. Mm-hmm. The first episode was effective, but it was setting up this town. Suddenly there's a big dome and they can't get out. And Stephen King's stories always have, they've particularly the TV versions, have benefited from big cast of characters who all kind of have to come to this whatever their problem, supernatural problem is in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Salem's Lot. Everybody in the town is dealing with the vampires or, or whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this storyline, they're trying to do a little bit of the same thing. This is no longer about David Drayton and his son going into a grocery store. This is about watching a whole pile of characters slowly get developed his neighbors are characters that we kind of come to learn and we want to understand the dynamics of the town and i'm sure they're doing this so they can spread this out so that we don't uh, we're, we're, we're going to have a couple seasons of this maybe so that was what i was concerned about when i first saw the trailers opening I liked, I mean, the very opening shows one of the soldiers in the arrowhead project wake up and he doesn't know who he is and there's a dog next to him and this is very very mild spoilers but he kind of runs in with his dog rufus and they run through the mist, and the mist shows up almost instantly, and then, boom, the dog is eviscerated. So, <laughs> pet lovers, I mean, it's a kind of, it, it sets an edgy tone, mm-hmm. but it almost goes immediately, and so I'm like, oh, this will be interesting to follow through the eyes of this sort of amnesic mm-hmm. guy. It doesn't really go that way, because then we start to get a story involving the the marital issues of the husband and wife and the daughter who goes out and is possibly date raped like that's the major plot point of this first episode wow and the guy who has potentially done it is there and you know he's a jock football player and the football (laughs) players have you know come through and and threaten the family and now when the mist rolls in the the football players cop dad because we have to have as many stereotypes as we can get you know he's there with this Mm. this father character they're at the 
police station when the fog rolls in. So is the soldier with amnesia. So is the meth head who seems to have dug up a bag of <laughs> money and stabbed a guy with a pitchfork. She's on the run. It's like, am I watching Lost? Or what the devil the are they mess? doing with this? They took a basic, simple concept, which should work very well, and like blended it up with as much characters as they could possibly You've think of. Like, problems. Once the screaming ugh. and the mist and the monsters start, it, it you can't help but get better. I mean, I have, the monsters just aren't quite as prominent. Mm-hmm. as they are in the movie mm-hmm. um there's potential for them to be kind of cool i'm thinking you've got all these episodes you need to start developing these things we need to see what this ecosystem yeah. in the fog looks like or the mist looks like because that's the interesting thing that you don't have time to do let's not get all this i mean their their approach to the human nature thing is not as interesting as stephen king was doing mm-hmm. and so far the most of the first episode is based off of that there's two huge problems with that one is the acting in this movie in this show is not very good mm-hmm. it's not the same level and so we get kind of the interactions seem hammy and not very interesting and two the special effects aren't that convincing either so the whole production just feels of a lower tier mm-hmm. it's just not as ever as engaging so i don't mm-hmm. know if i'm going to stick with it honestly i say yeah if if they if they move in towards how these characters start dealing with the mist itself but it seems like it's still more interested in Let's deal with the marriage falling. But, but but these characters are still sitting there. She's still sitting there worried about the boyfriend and the date rape while creatures from another world are mutilating their <laughs> yeah. neighbors. King's point was that some of that stuff starts to fall away. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I wonder what King himself thinks about it. I haven't really looked that up. But I'm going to say if you were a big fan of the, of the originals, it just seems subpar to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it sounds like no that. There's yeah. no real reason to, to engage it. I think. Yeah, the trailers didn't do much for me. It doesn't sound like it. You're having seen some of the episodes. Is not really hasn't really helped now, it, to in be my fair, mind. Some, yeah, some, and that, I can't, I can't good <clears> conscience <throat> say I watched it and thought, hey, this isn't quite as bad as it could have been. It isn't all the Arrowhead project. It it has the potential to get good. Walking Dead got very good after a little bit of time. I will say the production of Walking Dead was always of a higher quality than this. I've seen shows come back from stuff like this and become very good. King shows tend to go the other... Long-form King TV shows who that are kind of making up as they go along tend to, to go the other direction. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, Chris, now comes the moment. Tell us about Transformers 5. I hate to waste any breath on this. But people want to talk about it. I know people want to know about it. People want to are interested because it just came out. Uh, okay, so I went to see Transformers: The Last Night, and, and I have managed to not do that. <laughs> I even betrayed myself because I was trying to. I really was not excited about this movie at all. But there's just a part of me that if I start a series, I have to watch all all the sequels, and it's really sad and, and depressing. But uh, I, I felt like I needed to watch it for some reason. So I couldn't even wake up in time to get my normal nice uh, matinee. So I had to pay pretty much a full ticket price for this thing. And I, uh, rough, when I got there, when I got there, uh, yeah, he does. I know he <laughs> does. Uh, the only one showing at the exact time that I got there was the 3D IMAX. So you'd think to yourself, at least I'm watching it. In the since it's supposed to be a big special effects movie, I'm watching it where it should really theoretically shine. You know, my like, wife and I made that mistake with the second movie. We, oh my! We had, we'd seen the first one, we thought, "Hey, that wasn't so bad." And we were down at the Inner Harbor. Oh, the worst part was I think it was around our anniversary, so we were out. Oh. 
And, and you got was, treated to robot farts. This was nice. back before we had kids, so it wasn't like we wasted a whole day of being out. Yeah. But we saw us playing at the IMAX at the Inner Harbor, mm. and I thought, wow, I mean, at least that movie would be fun to see in the IMAX. And I was horribly wrong. And as I was horribly wrong in thinking that it would be a better experience for this, yeah, uh, it really didn't help that much. It made it more uh, distracting, really. Uh, anyways, uh, it really is about what you'd expect. I mean, honestly, the the story is basically recycled from the rest of the series. What I'm expecting we have, is hot garbage. <laughs> then your trash formers, you've got it. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you've got uh, you've got Merlin at the beginning. They have a like nice little intro where they try to um, bring some myth to the you know universe, some more some more backstory to it. And they have, that's like, what we need Stanley Tucci is like drunken Merlin, like muttering and talking about how he'll do anything to save uh, his compatriots except give up women. And it's like so any, weird. So because Stanley Tucci played a character in the last movie. Yes. Is there any sort of? Are we supposed to believe he's a descendant, or is there any kind of? Well, they find a descendant, but it has nothing to do with him. So, so he's just—I mean, he's, he's just really just—he just, just wanted another, another role, yeah. But he's playing Merlin. Stupid, and it was really bad. Like the acting in this is movie there is any terrible. Reason for the Knights of the Round Table to be involved? Is, is that part of the story interesting at all? No, no, not at all. They're there, and they're really in there. Does so, Optimus fight a dragon? Here's where they're in there. They're in there so that they can all form into a dragon. Now, a three-headed dragon. Now, the three-headed dragon looks cool. Serves zero purpose for Hold the on, story. What turns into the dragon? The Knights of the Round Table. Are they humans? No, they're well. I mean, there's there are human knights of the round table, so the, wait, so the but there's also robot knights of the round table too. So the transformers have been here for a much longer period. Oh yeah, that's like a. So. I don't know if I want to go into the spoiler, but there's a suggestion in the movie um, that they're yes, essentially have been here for much much longer for a very okay. specific reason uh, that they're going to make the next movie based on. <laughs> so is the. I, but I heard Michael Bay is done, right? Bay is. All- I so hope so. I mean, really, because this this really feels like it is almost a carbon copy of the fourth movie. The like, fourth movie was hot garbage, like you watch. said. Like it, it was, was. I was sitting there waiting for this thing to end. I was like, I could not wait for this movie to end because I was getting so bored watching all this. Just like loud noises and big explosions and terrible dialogue just thrown at the screen. I'm not normally offended by something, but it was almost offensive to the... I, I don't it, was in, offensive in it was offensive morally, to my brain, yes, yes right. because I'm watching this and... It was offensive it, to the thought of being entertained. Yes, it was, because there was not a single moment. With all this stuff going on, there's not a single moment of entertainment. The jokes they have in this thing are terrible. The acting's bad. Anthony Hopkins, I feel really bad for. I, I would feel bad for him if he didn't get paid. He signed but on he to paid. do this. Yeah, he, he got paid for he, it. There are four other movies that came before this. And he, he's played off as like a weirdo nut job in the movie. Like, he's some crazy guy living in a castle with a manservant, like a robot manservant named Cogman. <laughs> and Cogman, Cogman is half half like a noble uh, butler type and half like a psychotic killer. Now, when <laughs> you say half, because I don't put it past Bay to do this, does it look like Two Face? No, but it's like a split personality thing. Okay. It's it's dumb. It's really dumb. Cogman, um, that sounds like I, I, I go back to what when Seth was on with us for the Universal Monsters, and he said, "There's no part of what you just said that I liked." That's yeah. how I feel about what you just said. There was no part of this that I liked watching. So. Um, yeah, it just it's just a big blathering blathering mess, and it, like it's so packed with again. Michael Bay has to explain every single thing that happens. You have scenes of the military. Okay, call that bomber to do this and that. Like in every single Transformers movie, at least. 
good 20 minutes is wasted on stuff where they're explaining what's happening even though someone had already asked for Are them to do it. Are these humans any more interesting at all in this? Not at all. And it's weird. Like, I feel he was almost weirdly, like, trying to sexualize the, like, 14-year-old girl in this movie. Like, at the beginning, these, these this, uh, or near the beginning, these boys go into, like, ruined Chicago, um... Yeah, I saw Which I think will happen for the third one. And the girl's running around and she's wearing like some kind of skimpy shirt and like she's like looking like she's supposed to be some kind of like hot model or something. These boys are like falling in love with her. And I was like, what is the point of that? It's like disturbing. I saw that. I think he's got some kind of mental issues. There's something. I don't like. Like I don't even think he thinks about it anymore. I don't think he does. I just think it's. Like, I don't think he understands how it looks. How horrible. And that's, but people—that's the thing. They dish out the money. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know how well this one did. And I the thing is, the interesting thing about this character, well. this uh, little girl, she's an interesting character, but they don't do anything with her. She's just—I don't even know why they put her in. They. She serves literally zero purpose, except for the fact that she has a pal who's a robot who does one little thing at one point in the movie to change. Some of the events happen. I mean, like he fills the, these movies with so many characters that do maybe one thing that might sort of change the tide of the action at the end. And it's like, like it's like a character popping in in a video game, just nobody cares. Exactly. Uh, the, exactly. The Dinobots they showed up in the last movie. They were not interesting. They looks like they're back. They were back in this again. Not interesting. So, doing almost nothing in the first way. The first. Oh movie wait, was... I'm sorry. They were there because they had a moment. Uh, it was a joke, you know. They had, he was one of the robots was eating a car, and he was like, "Stop! Put that car down!" Like, okay, I saw that. So that you know, and like that's really what they were there for. The Transformers is a cartoon. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to offend somebody out there. Well, still itself, no great shakes. It was a it was a cartoon made to sell toys in the '80s. It just happened to be kind of interesting, and it got and popular. As a, yeah. as a kid, it was interesting, and they at least tried to tell some stories with it. The first movie, to me, had some stupid stuff, robots farting. That was back before Shia LaBeouf was like the kiss of death to me. So I mm-hmm. thought the movie was okay. I thought it tried to replicate a little bit of what people liked about the TV show. You know how Michael Bay likes to introduce new stupid things into each of these movies? You're like smiling the two. at me right now. What happens? Well, now the robots, uh, some of them like to wear chains. <laughs> what do you mean like to wear chains? Like they like to wear chains, like how like you would wear bling. a gold chain, like, like bling. bling. Yeah, it's like the. Well, that's not so far off from the jive talking robot in the first movie. Yeah, that was like doing. Uh, there was like two robots moves. in this movie that were like had bling on. One was the one I think it was barricade. It was like the cop car Decepticon, the evil one that that's said like horrible. punish and enslave. And he had his like he had a cop badge hanging off this giant like platinum chain. And I was like, why is he wearing that? Does the John Goodman car robot come back? Yes. And here's uh, here's the I think one of the worst aspects because you, you can get past all this stuff, but you can't even hear what they're saying half the time. I couldn't in the other. It's so loud and so obnoxious, and happening. you could barely hear through the weird accents they were giving them. And you know, like I th- caught maybe a third of the dialogue what the robots were right, saying. There's no reason for any of these actors to be doing this. work. Exactly. So that's even true there was a uh, there was a Steve Buscemi robot in this one. So is it legitimately Steve Buscemi this time? Because yeah. In the second movie, we had that little robot that humped Megan Fox's leg that sounded like a mix between Steve Buscemi and Joe Pesci. Well, he's back. He didn't hump anybody this time. That's but... good. He's restrained himself. Yes. Maybe they got him fixed. <laughs> Here's uh, hoping. But no, this is an actual... Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> an actual Steve Buscemi bot. He's like a trader. He trades with the robots at one point. He's in it for, you know, two, three minutes. But... There's almost... The only other thing. I already know the answers to these things. 
At the end of the fourth movie, Optimus, they seem to be building this whole thing about the creator, and Optimus mm-hmm. is going to go find the creator, just like Preacher, right? And yep. hold him accountable, just like Preacher. So we should have a robotic Preacher for the fifth movie. Is anything that happens with Optimus remotely interesting in this movie? Not at all. It's like any other movie you've seen where someone is... Even earlier this summer with Fast and like the eighth Fast and Furious movie, we know temporarily turned evil, but he's not really evil. You know, I mean, almost immediately once he gets back, he's back to being the good guy. You know, it's it's just cheesy and dumb. Is this is this the worst of the five movies? Now, I think you might be able to say that just Mm. by the fact that it repeated the fourth movie's mistake. I don't know introducing. The robot farts in the second one. Like, the second one to That's me is true. always the worst. That's true. The second movie I've not was seen so a worst. abysmal yeah. that the fourth movie was mind-numbing, but the second movie was soul-destroying. It was soul-destroying. And I really honestly still think that one's the worst one. This one, like... Because when I left that second movie, I was angry. When I left this fifth movie... I just felt I felt nothing. Empty. I felt empty. Like honestly, and I'm not trying to be funny. Like I just felt like, wow, that was two and a half hours where I was in the movies trying to be entertained and got nothing out so of you've it. You've seen you've seen most of the big movies except for the ones you you know you just have no interest in. You're yeah. not going to see. Uh, was this the worst movie of the summer for you? Undoubtedly, yeah. I don't think I've seen a worse thing in a while. I'm not going to do a full review, but since it's um, since it's coming out. I will just throw out there, I did see Despicable Me 3 with the children the other day. <laughs> and since we are on the topic of soulless, vapid sequel, uh, Chris, I know you have no interest in No, not so. Well, what's I liked the first movie. I thought it was cute. The second movie to me was just kind of rehashing what they had done. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple weeks ago, too, we took the kids to see the Cars 3 movie. Not, not a great movie. At least it was trying to generate some interest for understanding, here's some interesting things for the kids. Here's some interesting things for the adults. Despicable Me 3 doesn't even seem to be very good for almost, like, outside of just, like, basically goofy gags with the minions and basic, like, fart joke stuff that will bounce off a child later. You know, like, my children both enjoyed it, but they enjoyed it for just the most basic gags. Like, if they had been one or two years older, I think they would have been kind of bored by it. Mm-hmm. That being said, they enjoyed it. I got nothing out of this. I fell asleep in this movie, mm-hmm. and I was actually fully awake when it started, <laughs> which I know Chris is sometimes different when I'm in a movie, but because uh, I, you know, it's usually been a long day. But this was just—it's kind of what you, you. The reason it sparked a remember that I even seen the movie is what you said about like walking out of the movie just being kind of like empty. Like mm-hmm. that whole movie just bounced completely off of me and just went out into yeah. the ether. There are so many better things to see, particularly this summer. I think with even kid movies. Captain Underpants. I mean, if you've got to go see a movie with fart jokes in it, go see Captain Underpants. Don't if you. I mean, if yeah. you want to take your kids to see movies, Cars Three was better than this. Captain Underpants. Like Captain Underpants, I would say was legitimately a good kids movie. This is not a good. This isn't good for anyone. The plots start and go nowhere. I mean, even at the basic, the basic definition of like what you would hope to see someone do in a sequel, mm-hmm. they don't do. Uh, Gru is, you know, he's the Steve Carell character who's bad guy turned good, and now maybe he's going to be back to being bad. But they can't, they can't even commit to a single storyline. Kind of like what you're suggesting, where always in, in Transformers, mm-hmm. something starts and it stops. That's what happens here. Something starts, then it stops. And for a kids movie, I'm like, you got like five plots going on, and none of them seem to be leading anywhere. And I know you love this in a movie when a movie tries to like bank on your nostalgia in a very obvious horrible way like in this movie the, the villain is oh, no. a, a guy who had a kid's show when he was a young 
uh, in the eighties where he played a bad kid spy, and now he's trying to re to recapture that by mm. being an actual villain. And so we get to hear "Bad" by Michael Jackson play. I'll get it because he's like an eighties oh. guy. And he has a little eighties robot with him. And we hear Genesis and uh, oh my, you know. But they're so obvious and on the nose. I even sometimes like that kind of like not that kind of stuff, but sometimes you throw a little bit of eighties nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy threw a little bit. That's of a good example. Yeah, seventies or eighties nostalgia our way, and we're like, okay, this is so on point. You just roll your eye. You're just like, I'm sick. I'm sick mm-hmm. of this already. So yeah, I'm sure you're not surprised to hear that. But this is coming from someone who don't, you don't mind that it, kind of thing from time to time. To yeah. Enjoy it, and I'm saying it's just not up to snuff. It's just not. Do don't waste your money. Don't keep sending the wrong <laughs> yes. the wrong signals for this. Those are two movies you can avoid. Feel yes. free to avoid. But we have good well, wait. news. You know, you asked me this question. Was Despicable Me 3, was that the worst movie you've seen this summer? No, really, really, really. let me think. Um, so far... I mean, you have not yet seen Transformers, so... And I'm not going to. I did avoid <laughs> King Arthur as well. So oh, you're I, right. I almost, that might have disappointed you more because of the lore like behind well, I was it. so... I, everything I heard about it just seemed like I would just absolutely hate it. So, mm-hmm. No, no, no. Baywatch. So Baywatch... Oh, Baywatch, oh, 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 oh. Baywatch was worse than... Baywatch on Rotten Tomatoes has a better score than The Mummy, for crying out loud. Uh, see, with The Mummy, I'm still saying... The Mummy, you're going to get some entertainment value out of Baywatch has think, a better score than Transformers 5, believe it or not. Maybe. Well, here's the thing. Baywatch, to me... It just felt so perfunctory. But if, yeah, if that's uh, the kind of comedy, that's another case. That's not really my kind of movie. I yeah, friend, if that's the kind of comedy you like, then it. you're probably going to love it. He wanted to see yeah. it. He enjoyed yeah. it. I went to the screen because he wanted to see it too. Mm-hmm. I got almost nothing out of it. Um, again, to me though, and it, it, Baywatch might have hit a few more notes. It just was. It was just so lazy and cheap to mm-hmm. me. Uh, lazy and cheap is where you lose me. When you just not when you're gonna make a movie. When you get to Will Ferrell lever, lever, Will, Will like Ferrell level, like at least the Mummy. We talked about the Mummy. I was entertained. <clears throat> I felt like they were trying to entertain me, and they hit more often than not. I, I don't think what they did was completely right or mm-hmm. or right headed, so to speak. But you were entertained by them. Yeah, movie. I mean, I rolled out of there. I wasn't like, well, that was a waste of an evening. At they least, were you they know? were trying. They, what yeah. they were trying might not have been worth <laughs> trying. But I, I to me, that was a, a matinee level entertainment fair enough the mummy i mean what i'm saying is if you're sitting at the marquee and you're looking oh, i heard terrible things with this mummy movie there's transformers and spickle with me you'll have more fun you'll actually mummy. enjoy some of your dollar out of mummy yeah yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I mean wavy hand to me but wavy hand is better than hand mm-hmm. stuck down in a hole in the ground with a badger gnawing on it let's talk about something worth watching this yes. summer that so war for the planet of the apes mm-hmm. he's a smart one isn't he what are you gonna name him do they look like just apes to you? He saved our lives. He was remarkable. Family. And more apes die every day. Human gets sick. Ape gets smart. Then human kill ape. But not me. I run. There are times when it is necessary to abandon our humanity, to save humanity. All of human history has led to this moment. And if we lose, it will be a planet of apes. This is the third movie in the basic redo of the Planet of the Apes. 
our very first episode of Phantom Galaxy, the original 1968 Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. where you gave us a revelation that, A, you're not that big a fan <laughs> of the original movie, yeah. and B, but you had good things to say about when we talked about it. Yeah, um, I mean, it's an interesting film now. And I mean, B, you've never seen any of the other movies in the old... No, none of the sequels. ...old um, iterations, old. Uh, which you don't need to to enjoy these new mm-hmm. ones. I was really impressed with the 2011 movie, The Rise of the Planet. Yeah, that was great. Mostly because I wasn't expecting much from mm-hmm. it, because the, the Mark Wahlberg reboot just destroyed any expectation. Yeah, that, that was terrible. That one in 2001, yeah. that, <laughs> where they started to use words like reimagining or something like yeah. that, the Tim Burton. I thought that movie... That was probably the beginning of the downfall of Tim Burton. Now you can trace to plan. I think you're really right about that. He's done you a can. few good. He did a few good movies like Big Fish afterwards. Mm-hmm. But I would say that's they're few where and we, far between. We now. started to see that garbage Tim Burton who just makes blockbuster sellout movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, great ape costumes in that film, but terrible movie. Rise worked because you liked this ape character Caesar. We see mm-hmm. how he comes about. We see. It wasn't just... It was a lot of callbacks. Just trying to make clever little references yeah. to the old movie. and you could But nothing egregious. Like, nothing, nothing that egreg- was like... Well, they were secondary to telling the story. Yeah. You could you could get that little stuff. Oh, he just said it's a madhouse. Or get your hands off of me. And like, yeah. oh yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. But that was not the substance. Mm-hmm. There was a substance to a story. A new story being told. And you liked Caesar. You saw him develop... And you kind of liked the action. I enjoyed the action scenes. I remember mm-hmm. the apes trying to get across the bridge. And they kept it at an interesting scale. We didn't need to get to immediately, this is the planet of the apes. This is how we get there. Yeah. It was clear that they were playing a longer game here. And mm-hmm. at the end of the first episode, uh, I will say, no spoilers for War of the Planet of the Apes. Probably, we're going to be hard not to spoil just minor things about the other two. Yeah. Because... At this point, you really should have seen yeah. the other two. If you haven't seen those, watch them first. <laughs> Highly recommended. see yeah. War of the Planet of the Apes. I liked what they did with the characters. I loved the building of the ape relationships, even in that first movie. Mm-hmm. In that, when when Caesar has to go to that uh, ape refuge, and you meet all these sort of different characters, the orangutan character who has continued to be a, a driving force in the other two movies. Uh, we had Koba, mm-hmm. who was the sort of disfigured ape who plays heavily into the second movie. A and, rocket, and rocket, the, uh, rocket, yeah. who's, who's, who's kind of like the heavy in the in the prison yard, who kind of has to be mm-hmm. taken down a peg, and he's he's abusive originally to Caesar, but the Caesar does befriend him and does legitimately he becomes one of Caesar's like good friends, and they carry that through line. I guess what's impressive is as these movies went along, they really were concerned about those relationships of those very days. much so. The yeah. special effects were impressive the first time we see them. But they were about building characters. I remember feeling feeling like seeing that scene in the trailer where a gorilla launches himself into the air like a helicopter yeah. and be like, that's a crazy over-the-top scene. But when the time he does it, you care about what happens to that gorilla. It's legitimately yeah. uh-huh. a kind of moving scene because of everything that you've seen with him mm-hmm. and you know who he is and what he's doing. That was a little... I mean, you're almost rolling your eyes a little bit like, oh, we kind of care about what these apes are doing. And, <laughs> and of course, the Planet of the Apes series has always been ultimately about trying to make a point about humanity. Mm-hmm. The old movies, humans in costumes, pretending to be apes, uh, and the humanity elements were always played off of the humans, but the humans have less and less representation in these mm-hmm. movies. Uh, yeah. we, we, we see this virus that starts to wipe them out at the end of Rise of mm-hmm. the Planet Apes, kind of this kind of cool little uh, after-the-credits scene that pops yeah. up, and then we get Dawn of the Planet Apes. So I thought, I thought Rise was not... 
amazing, but I thought it was a very good, solid summer movie. Like I thought it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was enjoyable. I liked everything about it. I it was even Franco, James Franco. I thought was decent in his yeah. role. There was nothing about it I didn't like. I just mm-hmm. thought, oh, yeah, cool. It's a nice restart to the series. Yeah. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes to me did. That's where we. Trade out directors. We got Matt Reeves. We were talking about Matt Reeves earlier. Mm-hmm. The Batman movie. I thought Dawn of the Planet Apes took everything and upped the ante a little bit. It did. I think yeah. it was a better, stronger movie. Uh, and one of the reasons it was better and stronger is because Caesar was so much a so much more pivotal element in it. Uh, the filmmaking too was stronger. I oh think. yeah. Like the first movie, I enjoyed in typical blockbuster terms. The second movie, though felt like it was trying to really have us connect with the eight characters without trying it was to reaching make them for more yeah. it wasn't trying to make them honorary humans it was trying to ask questions about what we we perceive to be humanity but is that humanity or is it something that uh how much of it is different than being like an animal you know but not in a kind of rote sort of way i mm-hmm. feel like exploring how caesar makes his decisions in the second movie is pretty, you know, in the 70s, they always wanted to make some big theme. This is a theme. It's about racism or it's about prejudice. Uh-huh. I kind of feel like these movies avoided that, avoided about being any one little mm-hmm. simple theme. You know, this isn't a parallel for racism, it's not a parallel for animal cruelty or something like that. And in Dawn of the Planet Apes, that first like 10 or 15 minutes where you're just magnificent in, yeah. the, in the quietly in the woods with the apes and we're watching their society and how it runs without mm-hmm. any human interaction. And the humans have greatly dissipated in that movie. And Jason Clark is there. He was, he's good. Uh, uh, everybody in the movie, uh, Gary Oldman, they were they were they did a fine job. But it was Caesar, and this is where Andy Serkis' performance really started to come through, that you were drawn to. Oh, yeah. You saw how he interacted with his family. Mm-hmm. It, it ultimately was, it did kind of turn into a big budget action movie, even more so than the movie before it. Like, mm-hmm. We always seen him with an ape with two machine guns <laughs> yeah. in his hand, firing away the Riding across, a horse. Yeah. Riding a horse, and then one's in a tank, blowing <laughs> things apart. Koba emerges as the primary villain there. We uh-huh. get a big ape fight. And mm-hmm. to me, that stuff is always, in any movie, it ends up being a little less interesting. I mean, it was. It didn't take away from the movie. I thought in in Dawn mm-hmm. of Planet Apes. I thought that everything was pretty well uh, balanced. Balanced. Yeah. Balanced is a good word. So we had those two movies, and I thought it's set up. You can't not make another Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. But I was so worried that at this point, we're getting a little bigger and a little bigger. It's going to teeter over one, the top. Yeah, yeah, not not unlike the Dark Knight, where you've got mm-hmm. Batman Begins and you got the Dark Knight. And it's like, well, now we have to get as big as we possibly can. And I did. I like the Dark Knight Rises, but. You lose a little bit of something in that last jump. But my concern was you were going to lose a lot more because the trailers, first few trailers for this movie looked like, look at the title, War for the Planet of the Apes. We're going to see a full-out battle, Mm -hmm. lots of shots of gorillas loading in rocket launchers and fighting (laughs) and apes storming across beaches and giant giant armies heading at each other and uh, Caesar staring down Woody Harrelson and them jumping at each Angry. other. And I'm just thinking this is going to be one giant action film and we're going to lose It's going to ruin what made the other two me special. Character. Yeah. I was a little surprised that we were getting it screened as early as we did and I think I think that's because of a of a big vote of confidence that they have mm-hmm. not just in their director Matt Reeves but in the final product they got because this is not that movie at all. No. This is you know, after sitting with it for a while, I think this is the best of the three movies. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and if, if, if you don't come away thinking that, you're going to think at least this. 
the quality is consistent from beginning to end mm -hmm. in these three movies. And this movie does kind of really cement the fact that this is not, at least these movies, this is not this ongoing franchise to resurrect the Planet of the Apes. This is a story about this ape Caesar. This, oh, yeah. This mm -hmm. forms his, to me, this movie tells Caesar's story and brings it to what's kind of a logical conclusion that we don't need any people might enjoy more stories in this universe but we don't need to see this particular story be advanced really mm -hmm. this to me ends perfectly where it is oh yeah uh, it doesn't have to be yeah. like batman or anything like that i mean or actually the dark knight's a good example it te it does a three arc story and then it gets out of the kitchen and lets somebody else come back in and do something mm -hmm. that they want i'm not opposed to seeing this but we also don't even need to know any more about how this universe develops i think we have a just in, in terms of like if you are one of those people that needs to see this somehow reach towards the other apes movies, mm -hmm. I think we get enough here. There's logical fill-ins. You don't really need mm -hmm. any more. Um, I'm not going to talk too much more yet about the rest of it, but Chris, what'd you think? Oh yeah, I was really surprised. Like you, I was feeling a little apprehensive because I I really enjoyed the first two uh, apes movies, um, uh, these reboot apes movies, uh, and I really enjoyed the fact that they were. Just, you know, apes talking to other apes most of the time. There wasn't a lot of big action sequences. You know, had some of that kind of stuff. But I really just liked, liked that they were developing the apes as characters themselves. And it was very interesting seeing their uh, dynamic. Working together, living together, how they interacted. Like, I, I would have just watched a movie of them just, like, living a day in the life. Like, an hour and a half of that. Like, it's funny, because we always say that about these kinds of movies. Like... Let me see Jurassic World on a day when the dinosaurs don't go nuts and kill people. Like, I would watch that movie, you know. To Reed's credit, in both movies, he gives us a decent amount of that. Like, mm -hmm. and even this movie, he really spends a lot of time with the characters. A lot of time. And I think that the movie's all the better for it because of that. I mean... If this had been another big, you know, oh, we're going to make the, the, this the ending of the series or whatever, and it's going to be this big battle, it's going to be the war of the planet of the apes, you're going to have people, apes fighting it out and all that kind of stuff. That really would have destroyed what it was building up to. So here, this is interesting. I think this will, this will, you'll be interested by this fact. And I was talking to somebody the other night at, at Despicable Me, and I was asking them, had they seen Planet of the Apes? And they go, no, I didn't see it. And they referenced some of the people who were at the screen said they hated it. And what? They said it was too it was boring. I almost fell asleep. <laughs> oh. And I thought, well, you know what? Those people may have enjoyed more the movie that we were glad to <laughs> yeah. avoid it. Um, I definitely feel there will be some disappointed folks because of that. They've sold well, it so differently. Maybe, you know? but here's the thing. If you are a fan of that first Planet of the Apes movie, mm -hmm. let's face it. The original Planet of the Apes isn't, and we, we emphasized this fact when we talked about it, which was why I made it a good movie, I think, for the first uh, podcast. It's an honest, legitimate science fiction movie. It's a movie about ideas and thoughts. You can argue about how successful or not you think that is. But the original Planet of the Apes is not an action movie. Mm -hmm. It is a, It's intended to be a thinking person science fiction movie. It's intended to, even with the silliness of having the apes there... The big moments are meant to be intellectual moments. They're not meant to be the fireworks of that movie are the big reveal or are watching Heston come up against the ape culture. Mm -hmm. They're not moments of Heston fighting a bunch of apes on a beach or something Heston like that. Heston on trial. That's the... That's you right. Know, but the, I mean, those are the set pieces of that movie. Yeah. That's 
that is the Planet of the Apes mentality. That's what this series should always be about. It shouldn't be about apes battling each other uh, like they were in the Burton movie, you know, mm. on a beach somewhere. Anyone who kind of thinks that has kind of missed the boat, I think, on what the apes movies are supposed to be. Would you agree with this statement? The apes in the original Planet of the Apes are still basically, they're very humanoid. Oh, yeah. They're not just very humanoid. They're basically humans that happen to be apes. Their mm. civilization I think that's what the big shock is supposed to be, is that they're so like us, but they're not us. Yeah, yeah. But um, they still feel very much like yeah. us. I guess what I'm trying to say that's interesting, and it would, it would have been harder to do back then, but they seem to have achieved with War of the Planet of the Apes is, what we're looking at isn't exactly human beings. Mm-hmm. Like, Caesar's developed. He's still an animal. He doesn't... The apes haven't just become people. They become something in between, which makes mm-hmm. them fascinating to watch because this movie would have a lot of drama in it if this were about a small ragtag band of humans trying to achieve what they're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. If Caesar were legitimately played by Andy Serkis, yeah, it wouldn't be as interesting. It would still have drama and pathos to it, I think. Mm-hmm. At one point, they encounter... Uh, it's not a really surprise to say that Woody Harrelson's in this movie. Yeah. He's also not as over the top as he seems to be in the trailers. I think he's playing mm-hmm. an actual character. This is another movie, if you guys are looking for a movie this summer, if you haven't had enough of that already, about a madman, a prejudiced madman who wants to build a wall, well, here's a movie about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that is literally true. <laughs> but I will also say this is not on the nose in that way. That's not what this yeah, movie's yeah. about. This movie is probably only incidentally <laughs> reflecting our political climate. The gist of the of the character, there's more to that Harrelson character than I'm just a crazy bad guy. Mm-hmm. And this movie does try to bring in and it does try to tie in another element of the original movie to explain why the world is the way it is, which kind of gets into a new component of the disease that wipes people out. Mm-hmm. But what did you think about that? So they do introduce that the disease is, has a new mutation with the human beings and Caesar early on, Caesar and the orangutan and Rocket and a gorilla character who I don't think I've seen before, kind of a big guard sort mm-hmm. of character. The on, orangutan, on the... by the way, steals the movie to me. I love I love Maurice. He's Maurice great. is yeah. He he's developed well over the, yeah, uh, the uh-huh. other films. But this is really, you know, that's what's so... You, Caesar has become a very unique character. Mm-hmm. He looks more realistic than he has ever has. It almost looks like there could be human actors behind these apes at this point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you look yeah. at him and you're like, it almost looks like I could be looking at somebody behind mm-hmm. an ape costume. It's just fantastic work. He also talks a lot more mm-hmm. in this one. Even when they got some of the other apes don't. The relationships, just little scenes. They interact with a young girl who they meet, and I won't get into, you know, like, the movie does, again, some little tie-ins mm-hmm. here or there. But this young girl, she does a fantastic job interacting with them, and she she's not verbal. So their interactions with her are all the more interesting because she's never really speaking to, you know, they're not they're mm-hmm. not just exchanging conversations. They have to get to get that relationship across with these inhuman characters and this young girl who can't speak. I thought they did a really nice job with that, and they oh, never yeah. overplay it. What happens with Caesar, the kind of person, same saying the word person, but I think person might be right, not human, but person, uh, someone with sentience and, and, and uh, ability to think and consider and, and look back at what he's done and what he still has to do, it's neat because they are making, these are different apes than what you see in Planet of the Apes. Their society totally seems, different, yeah. If their society keeps going in the in the bent that Caesar is directing it, 
it's going to be a different world. Totally different world. And yeah. I like that, I thought. I think that that adds a lot of kind of that speculative science fiction of, well, we've seen this world at its absolute worst, but what if it goes down this road? Mm -hmm. Which is, it's a dark movie, but it's also a hopeful movie, I think. Mm -hmm. I think this movie does offer, would you agree, it kind of offers, as a contrast to darkness, a contrast, it does offer an element of hope. Absolutely, I mean, what if, yeah. What if we were to handle things differently? And there's, the complexities are there. This this has, the first movie had almost a feeling of a, of a prison break movie. <laughs> and this movie has almost that escape from the camp movie that you mm -hmm. see in like a war film or something. But there aren't any really big action. I mean, there are a few, they throw a few big moments at us. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't characterize this as an action movie. Would no, you? not at all. Yeah, this is definitely, uh, definitely not an action movie, but uh, more of a, a, a really cool character piece. I mean, uh, Caesar really is uh, just an amazing thing they've developed over the time. Like, I love what they've done with Caesar. I love that he is uh, he can reason things the same and even more more intelligently than the humans around him. Like, there's so much complexity to that character that they've added on through these three mo three movies. And they don't take him where you think they're going to take him. They Not at all. They send him down yeah. any kind of normal At a certain path. point, you're going, oh, this is just going to be another... Uh, Revenge drama. Captain Ahab story, yeah. you know, like... And it doesn't really go there, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was blown away by it. I, I honestly was. I, I wasn't expecting this to be so thoughtful of a movie. We even get a purely, almost purely comic relief chimpanzee yeah <laughs> well, i'm not concerned i haven't looked this up i probably should have uh sounds to me like it's voiced by steve zahn like that would be my first out of the game mm. guess but i don't I might don't be know. yeah um bad ape i think they called him well he's he, he's, he says everyone's bad ape bad yeah. ape he uh, but i think that was the actual name for him they came up with <laughs> but he i liked his character he yeah. works in the context he does he does what he's supposed to do he offers uh comic relief but he's also he's one of the first he's a little reflective of what else is going on that is from a different group of apes. He's mm -hmm. not from that group that's that that all escaped together into the forest, into the redwoods. He's not from there. And he had a background. He came from the circus. And so mm -hmm. it's interesting to, that his perspective uh, is different from theirs. And so they are trying to plan where are we going to go <clears> next? How do we deal with this world of humans? And how are the humans dealing with us? And I just think that almost in every way... The choices they make are are more interesting than I've complained many times about the movie that just evolves into the action scenes. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the end you're going to get a few more yeah, that, a that they kind of they kind of throw to you. But I'm still interested in what's happening. I'm driven mm -hmm. by the characters at that point. I'm like, okay, let's have a big CGI sequence. <laughs> but when I say big, I'm talking minutes. We're not yeah. talking a war. I'm not even talking about a battle. You're not talking Transformers 5, like 45 minutes of madness happening at the end of the movie. I'm not even talking yeah. Wonder Woman. I mean, it's not yeah. the, the action scenes are only in service of the plot, mm -hmm. really. It's, it is yeah, I agree. I think the, the biggest battle sequence is probably at the very beginning of the movie. I'd argue, you know? yeah, you know what, you're right. And that's the trailers you're seeing, that's what's interesting about the trailers is they aren't in this chronology the way they seem yeah. to be, where they seem to be leading you somewhere. And I was refreshing because I was like, wow, I think we've already seen these moments. Where are we going to go now? Because mm -hmm. the story I thought they were telling is not the story that they tell. My favorite movie of the summer so far, definitely my favorite big budget movie. Now, mm -hmm. I will say I love Guardians. This is not a slide on Guardians. It's probably the other movie I really like. But 
War of the Planets, there's just something a little more here. It's my favorite yeah. Planet of the Apes movie, to be perfectly honest. I agree. I mean, this to me is definitely hands down my favorite movie of the summer. And there's been some good movies that I've really enjoyed this summer, like Guardians, like you say. Uh, I really enjoyed Wonder Woman. Um, I'm going to remember this one for a long time because it left an impression on me. And it's one of the best trilogies in terms yes, of... Yes, absolutely. Of, of the consistency of the content. Yeah, the quality and, and has been so there. It's so good, the I really time. kind of don't want them to do anymore. I don't need... Yeah, yeah I would watch another, mm-hmm. but, but, but set it maybe a little bit later down the line, start a new series or something. Mm-hmm. But I don't need it. Yeah. I'm perfectly content with this. And this is... This is great work, and I highly, I highly recommend it. I'm sure there weren't. We didn't stick around and wait for any after credits <laughs> sequences. I, didn't see what the I don't think there be. are. I mean, maybe the there are. The movie had so beautifully wrapped everything yeah. up. I was just right. Somebody said at the end, I was like, oh, I would have liked a, maybe a final shot of the of the Icarus. <laughs> yeah, I was, like, I was kind I of expecting maybe that. that would be there. I don't you know, need but, those things, yeah. and I like that the movie sort of holds back. There's, you're going to enjoy a couple of. Of nice, there were of of nice like tie-ins yeah. to the old series. Even some of the stuff I thought would be silly didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's one you and I talked. There's one in particular, but I highly recommend it. It's a really good movie. Uh, Chris, anything else? Uh, no, just go see War of the Planet of the Apes. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, if you, if I mean, make sure you see the other two because it's a lot of it's going to be lost on you if you don't. Yeah, and that, that's a very last point I want to make. They really do get a maximum amount of mileage from the other two movies that came before. Totally, like yeah. those. The movie knows is expecting you to see these movies, and it's it, little moments just the weight of those movies are definitely right. Rocket applied. and the things that happen with Rocket and Maurice. These characters they have a little bit more weight. You understand. Koba is is literally haunts some of the scenes of this film. Yeah. Quite literally, like his presence isn't forgotten. Mm-hmm. Not to Caesar, and that's what's interesting. When we meet certain people in our lives that reflect kind of what the worst of us could be, they don't go away. You know, many mm-hmm. movies and sequels. Well, I beat the bad guy, and he's completely forgotten. Now on to the next guy. Yeah, Koba's with him mm-hmm. in his head, um, sometimes literally, but he's always a thought. Like. This is I can go this way. Mm-hmm. This is a this is one option I have for dealing with the humans and dealing with pain and dealing with rage. And I really liked that. I mm-hmm. liked that. Like it wasn't just an excuse to kind of remind us of that character being there. It was seeing the effect he had on Caesar. He's mm-hmm. as much a reason for why Caesar does half of what he does in this movie as anybody else is. Yeah, and I like that a lot. So okay. Um, we will be back next week with an episode. Hopefully a. Uh, we're going to look at some streaming stuff. We've been watching some mm. cool stuff on streaming. Chris, you've been watching some crap on streaming. I have, yeah. So we'll, hopefully we'll get together and we've seen, we'll have some reviews for you, hopefully for The Bad Batch, which is the new direct, the new movie from the director of Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, mm. and Aksha, which is the giant super pig movie with Tilda <laughs> yes. Slinton. And uh, that's it, folks. Good night.